Shut up and sit down. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friend, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Hey. And this week, we are joined by our other special friend, Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Hello. Deborah is going to talk to us about young adult literature because she is an expert, an avid fan, and reader. Isn't that right? That's true. Oh. I am an adjunct professor in young adult literature. Oh. Oh. I didn't know that. Was that in the notes, you guys? <laughs> Did we- Listen, you think, I mean, I bring, I bring smart people to the table. You do. I just wish you had told us how smart. No, yeah, seriously. That, that was much. not in the notes. That yeah, was. you did not tell us that much. You're just like, she's an expert. Just trust me and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Deborah, um, tell us a little bit about what you do and what drew, and, and why you're talking to us about Young Adult Lit. Well, I, I retired about a year ago from um, being in charge of young adult services at the Enoch Pratt Free Library in Baltimore. And actually, the Enoch hey. Pratt Free hey. Library in Baltimore actually was one of the founding um, locations for young adult services and en- encompassing working with teenagers and, of course, the literature for them. So that has been a big part of my life because I started as a young adult librarian there and always did young adult work and always read young adult books and served on various um, youth committees. I I just finished a stint on the National Book Awards um, for the young adult, for young adult literature for this year. And uh, well, not, not really finished because we will actually decide on the winner in in a a week or so. So that's Can you give us a preview of who's going to win? No. (laughs) We, to tell you the truth, I've served on a number of awards committees. You never really know who is going to win. Um, you might have an idea of who's got the strongest backing, but once you sit down at that table, it, it really Anything doesn't... Anything goes. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, it does. There's a group dynamic to awards yep. committees that um, only happens in that room. So um, I really can't. I mean, the finalists are public, you know, information. So it could be any one of them. So that's um, that's really one of the things I've learned from all of the various awards committees I've served on. How did you get drawn into? What was your focus on this? Like, how did you end up doing this kind of work, like working on young adult stuff? You know, I came of age, you know, in the previous century, um, and it was. I mean, the- we all did. I was really at that early, much earlier than you guys. And um, it was kind of the, I was in college and in grad school um, in the 70s. And it was a really tumultuous time, as I'm sure you've read about. And you really thought that information was power, or at least I did. And I thought that I could make a difference. I had always been a reader and the, the world was changing so rapidly. And I thought, that um, being a person who read a lot of things and um, engaged in a literary life um, was was a fuel and it helped people and it helped you to think things through. So when I got a job at the public library, I had the option of what age group I would work with. I chose to work with teens. Um, I had done, um, 
I thought I was going to be a school librarian and had a uh, student taught in a middle school. And I actually loved middle schoolers. I know that's really? supposed to be uh, the thing to say you like, but I did. I always have, I've always liked middle schoolers. Didn't, I, I think great that's great. I'm to, a middle but, school person myself. I think, you that's know, I mean, it's just a, such an interesting age and on um, the literature for them is so intriguing. So that has always been something that I've been interested in. And one of the nice things about being a librarian is um, libraries change and evolve. So however, whatever you thought you wanted to do when you came in X number of years ago, the library changes. And so as you grow and evolve, you find that the library does too. So I never really felt that I was doing the same thing over and over. What, uh... What sets, what do you think sets young adult literature apart from other kinds of literature for other audiences? What's the young hallmarks of it? Young adult literature um, has an immediacy for the, the folks that are in the age group, I'd say from 11 to 18. Um, it really has a you are here quality that doesn't have that, I call it the wonder years voiceover that you have in adult books. Um, it doesn't have that. It has. It really does feel like it's the uh, internal dialogue of a, of a young person. So I think that's one of the things that makes it distinctive from, say, an adult novel where the character might be a kid. Um, and it really is kind of addressing the things that young people are grappling with, whether it's their own um, identity, whether it's their own sexuality, whether it's problems from the outer world. Um, you know, a lot of things that happen to kids happens because adults messed up. Hmm. And then the kids ha are left to figure that out. That's actually the plot of Harry Potter, by the way. Um, adults messed up, somebody's got to fix it, kids got to fix it. So that's really what kids see as their world. These adults are not doing what I need have to have happen, and I've got to figure it out. And I've got to figure it out with my friends. I've got to figure it out with um, the people that are around me. You know, you mentioned Harry Potter. Is Harry Potter the hallmark of kind of the maybe sort of the mainstream mainstream awareness of a category called young adult literature? You know, Harry Potter kind of um, it kind of uh, covers too. Because it starts off, and it's one of those rare series where the characters age. Um, many series written for young people, everybody's kind of locked in the same age, age range. Harry Potter, actually, every year, everybody's a year older. So mm -hmm. it starts off as a children's book, the first two books, and then the latter books, he's a teenager. So it kind of bridges both children's and young adult. Mm. But, you know, young adult is much, I mean, if I really think when I talk to my students, um, the quintessential young adult book was The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. Mm. Francis Ford Coppola went and made a movie. Yeah. Um, Everyone says this. This is so funny. That's I'm... really kind of how we, that's where we kind of say, like open era of YA books started in 1968 with the pub 68 with the publication of the outsiders because it really was one of the first books there were other books written for that age group but it was really the book that focused on youth as a youth culture mm -hmm. and the adults were not the main 
thing. They were kind of background. They were the reason these kids were independent and on their own. But it really was the adult, the young adults, the teens, working out their relationships with each other and with, you know, it was, it was actually a book about classism too, um, because you had two different classes of young people kind of um, uh, in conflict. So that's really where you start to see books where the, the young people are central to the story. Now, you know, books about young people coming of age, that's a hallmark of Western literature. It's actually a hallmark of other cultures as well, because that age is such an important part of your development. It's where you figure so many things out about yourself, about the people around you. So that's an important, um, so many of Dickens' books were about young people, be, even though they're not young adult, because that's such a critical stage in your development. You know, speaking of a critical stage, I think one thing I thought was interesting, I was listening to an interview with um, Jacqueline Woodson, who yeah. is a young adult oh, all right, love, writer. Love, <laughs> love her stuff. Yeah. And, and so one point, one thing that she said, and I wanted to talk to you about that, um, she said, you know, it's really important that there's a, there's a specific responsibility for a young adult writer. Yes. That um, it's important that your books have hope because of the audience. Yes. Does that sound resonant to you? That, that's very resonant to me. And, and, you know, when we say a book has hope, it doesn't mean that it's, it shies away from grim uh, subjects. Mm -hmm. It means that even through that darkness or that, that kind of darkness that's a part of the book, the young reader can see a way forward, if not for the character, but for someone else or for themselves. Um, or, or they can come out of it feeling like they understand something. And I think that that's a really important aspect of young adult literature. You know, we every once in a while, I always say every year, either the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal or somebody writes an article like, why are young adult books so dark? <laughs> and they're, because there's so little understanding of what that darkness really means to adolescent development. Um, it's, it's sort of like, you know, people, nobody ever asks why people watch horror, you know, it's, but there is an understanding that it's almost like you have to walk through something and you come out on the other side with an understanding. And I think that's what um, that hope looks like. Um, and Jacqueline Woodson doesn't shy away from difficult topics in her books, but she does give you that sense that the young person comes out on the other side. I'd love to ask your thoughts, just to build on that a little bit. I find it so interesting. I'm just going to remark on a couple of things. I'd love to hear your reaction. First of all, you know, I think for young adult authors, they seem to have a, a real challenge in both kind of portraying the world as it is, but potentially giving young adults opportunities to think about the world being better, maybe more peaceful and equitable and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but that seems like a tough tension. And it was interesting what you just said, Tricia, about there being hope, because I think you do often see that. But but the other piece of that that I find interesting, it, and it kind of makes sense when you think about our society, is um, adults, like real adults in our society, they can get very worked up over young adult books if they don't yeah. match you know, our, using that term loosely, our values. Um, you know, certainly with Harry Potter, you had the kind of controversy around, you know, Christianity and whether 
you know, this is promoting a kind of pagan worldview that's going to pollute kids' minds. Um, and, and then, you know, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but I also found it really interesting when, um, I mean, racial identity gets very interesting, right? If an author is not explicit about a character's racial identity and then a movie is made, for instance, and right. that character has a racial identity that some readers, uh, and again, it's usually the adults, um, didn't expect. I, I mean, I'd love to hear, like, you've worked with young people around these books. How do you how do you approach all that navigation of the world as it is, the world as it's dreamed of in, in the books and the tension between, the, the tension among all of that? I think that's one of the reasons why there is so much young adult fantasy. Um, and I think because young adult authors appreciate that tension you described. So very often um, books for young people are set in kind of a fantastical world. And that way you can play with all of those various realities, but you know you can put it someplace else that is different from the world that we're experiencing. Um, it's interesting that you should you should bring that up because you know for a long time I know when I was a, a long, young adult librarian many years ago on the on the floor of the library it was very hard to find a book of fantasy or science fiction it was even hard to find a mystery with um, a black protagonist it was almost as though if it wasn't going to be a realistic fiction novel or historical fiction most often set in the South during pre-civil um, uh, rights era, it was very hard to find books that dealt with, with the, the reality of most African-American kids, most Latino kids, most Asian kids. It was very, very tough. So I think that there are a lot of ways that the writers have gotten around that is by writing a lot of speculative fiction and, and placing things in other worlds so that they can play with those issues um, without all of the, the other aspects. Oh, it's not realistic type thing. <clears throat> it's interesting to me that um, The Hate You Give um, yeah. is, is, is number one on the New York Times bestseller list. That book has been on the New York Times bestseller list for over almost three years. Mm. And it is not, you know, we went through this whole period where it was, oh, black kids, black teens don't read. So we don't have to have any books for them. And then you see a book that is so obviously about the black experience, the realistic black experience, and it's resonating with kids from all kinds of backgrounds. So I think, you know, in many ways, um, that book is, is really dealing with some of the issues, and especially in urban neighborhoods. But it's full of hope in terms of the families that are presented, the way the characters uh, deal with one another, what they learn about each other, the honesty that she um, puts forward in that book. So I do get that people grapple with that, giving kids hope, but also giving them the world as it is. And what, kids can take much more than we expect. Yeah. What would you still believe <clears throat> that young adult authors have a responsibility uh, as far as picking their topics or being sensitive to the population. And how do you think, can you note some, some books that do that well, or maybe some that do it poorly? Um, mm -hmm. I'm just going to tip my hand is that uh, I've read and watched some of uh, the show 13 reasons why, mm -hmm. which there was a lot of consternation around because spoiler alert, everyone, um, the book concerns a girl who kills herself and then, 
in sort of like a weird revenge fantasy, she sends like posthumous letters out to everyone who she thinks has wronged her. Um, so I guess I, I had a reaction to that, but I was wondering if you can speak to a little bit about, do you think authors have a responsibility given the population, the kinds of stories that they tell? I, I think authors um, can, need to be true to the story they want to tell. I think that they need to, they do need to think about um, the age that they, um, well, the targeted audience. Um, and I think that they can be mindful of what the way kids are going to receive the storylines that they put out there. However, I think people who turn books into other media have an even more responsibility in terms of what they choose and how they choose to adapt um, books. I know for myself, I'm a big audiobook person, and there are some things I can read that are difficult to listen to um, because of the harsh realism that, is, that, are, that might be in a particular storyline. So I think it's also both of those areas. I think most young adult writers, at least most of the young adult writers I've um, seen, um, take a great deal of responsibility about the way they, what stories they tell and how they tell them. And you know, they're just one person in the whole pipeline. They have editors. They have lots of folks. And believe you me, publishing is not a radical place. So <laughs> why, I'm not su why am I not surprised? <laughs> Nobody is going to do something that they think is going to cost them sales. So well, I think that, you know, unfortunately, I, we wish they'd take a few more risks mm -hmm. in terms of telling some stories that haven't been told or, you know, giving some, some voice out there. So I don't think that young adult authors are where... I think they're very responsible about how and what they tell. Well, this is in this is in relation to both to Chris's question about sort of responsibility, but then also the idea that um, publishing companies are risk averse. Mm -hmm. I've heard, I've you know, I know there've been the thing. The reason why I really want to talk to you about young adults is that I just feel like that world is just filled with a lot of controversy. Yeah, I go on Twitter and there's just always something going on. I'm like, yes. who's popping off? What's going on? Why is everything happening in young adults? And I don't know the, the world well enough to understand it. But one thing I, I wanted to talk to you about is um, the decisions that publishing houses have been making recently about pulling books. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know, you know, I, I think yeah. one, one of the most, I think, maybe most noteworthy piece was the Chinese American author Amelia Zhao. She wrote um, a fantasy novel called Blood Air, and I think it involves slavery. Yes. But she was, um, I think her position, she had taken a different approach to slavery that was non-American. Mm -hmm. And there was some reaction to it. So that book had to be pulled um, because of, uh, I think, a lot of online sentiment. And, it, and as I was reading around, I mean, I don't, um, I don't have a particular point of view about the actual novel itself, but it seems like um, that com the young adult writing community is so strong and fiercely um, vocal that publishers um, sometimes fall afoul of them and make those decisions. What's been your sense of kind of what's going on there? I think that there are one or two really highly publicized instances mm -hmm. of books that people have you know, cried out about. Maybe they read them in galley or mm -hmm. they heard about them or what have you. It really does not happen that often. Mm -hmm. Books that get published that have a lot of problems in yeah. terms of the, the way they tell stories, um, how they choose to center, 
um, who how they do deal with secondary characters. And maybe those books are written by people who have a little bit more, um, they have a bigger following or what yeah. have you. And those books don't get pulled. I if noticed you, that. If you look at what books get pulled, they are very, most of the time, they are books by new, new writers. Yep. And they are seldom by established writers. Mm. Um, and maybe established writers do a better job of doing that stuff doing the work before they get to that point mm -hmm. because they're more experienced. Um, and so I think that, you know, we've had several kind of highly publicized cases, not always young adults, sometimes children's mm -hmm. picture books, things of that nature. And um, yeah, I think that um, it, it does not happen as often as you might think. I think publishers do a lot of behind the scenes to make sure that the books are going to um, be okay when they get out there. But I think occasionally you'll get someone, like you said, uh, someone who's taking a different track. And it's, it's really kind of the publisher's choice. They could stand behind that book and say, no, this person is really taking, but very often if it's a new writer, they take mm. that back and they feel that the person is not gonna get any traction on that storyline, but it, it happens very seldom. The interesting thing about um, what's been going on lately is that it's not just, it's not young adult writers. There are more people, um, especially as we've moved into a discussion about more diversity, mm -hmm. there are more diverse critics, there are more diverse uh, writers and bloggers and instructors who are raising these questions mm -hmm. um, that were never raised before. Um, so I think that's what you're seeing um, in the in the in social media, the kind of conversations that are that are happening, and and even some books that people really like, they get questioned. Mm -hmm. um, even people of color, you know, get questioned by other people of color yeah. about um, a perspective that they take. Um, so I think, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I think it's modeling for young people. How you have a conversation? How do you have a difference of opinion? How do you support the things, the work, the art that you put out there um, when people have questions about it? So I think that's a good thing. And I think it's a healthy, you know, whenever you're in this transitional period, it always feels chaotic and, oh my God, what's going on? But it really is the way things change. It's what really is the transitional period then? What do you feel I it is? So the transitional periods where, where you're getting more voices, mm -hmm. Getting, you know, we're nowhere near the the numbers we need to be for diversity, but you, you get a few more. And um, so I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing people making bestseller lists who in the past publishers would have shied away from them and said, or they would have given them such a limited run, such mm -hmm. a limited printing. Um, I, I once heard James Patterson, you know, the big, you know, James Patterson, and he was appalled at how small the publishing runs were for um, YA books by African-American writers. He was surprised mm -hmm. because they were so, so small. And so there was no expectation that those books would do well, that they would find their audience. So I think that's one of the issues um, that we're seeing more people putting more demands on, um, on the whole field in that regard. I mean, I want to, um, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a career choice that I'd never heard of. And I think it comes out of the young adult world. 
mm-hmm. which is um, professional sensitivity reader. Oh gosh, yes, I must admit I've done that from time to time. Could you like? Could you explain to everyone what that is, and is that actually something that comes out of that world? Because I'd never heard of it before. I think actually sensitivity readers are not just in young adult. I think they're across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, sensitivity readers means that um, someone who is has written a storyline where there's a prominent character, maybe even the protagonist, that is not from their own culture, the mm-hmm. writer, not from the writer's own culture. So they will often send that book out to people from that culture to say, have I gotten it right? You know, mm-hmm. is there something that's, you know, that's not right in terms of, um, in terms of how this person is portrayed, how the community is portrayed, that type of thing. I don't do it anymore. Um, because I, then I find, it makes you feel that people are holding you up as a human shield. Yeah. Um, so I've decided not to to do it not to do it anymore. But I have done I have read books by people outside of the culture. Some of them worked. Some of them did not. And I said why I didn't think why I thought they were problematic. Sometimes they changed and sometimes they didn't. So I, w- I have a question about your experience getting kids into books. And this is kind of a, you know, I I was a middle school teacher and this is something I've debated and deliberated on both as a teacher and now as a parent, which is, you know, there are some kids and I I have to admit, I don't know if this is fair, but when I think about it, I think it's often boys. It's very hard to get them hooked on novels, but they can get hooked on graphic novels or, you Mm -hmm. know, books with illustrations. And I think of like Diary of a Wimpy Kid as an example of that. And from your experience, kids who get hooked on those kinds of books, is it an organic transition that they eventually become lifelong readers of, of novels? Or does that take some guidance from a professional like yourself to kind of gradually get them into books that don't necessarily have illustrations. Nothing against books with illustrations, but just, and, you know, I think what's best is to nurture, you know, people to read all the graphic novels you want, but obviously read read other novels too. Well, I must admit, you know, I, I came through at a time where the most popular book in my library that I had to keep in a drawer was the Guinness Book of World Records, and the, because all the boys would steal it. Oh, I loved it when I was a kid. I read it again and again and again. Every year, you know, that was that was the stats. Because there's nothing wrong with reading that way. That kids who yeah. read nonfiction, who read books like of just stats, baseball, they create their own narrative. They create a narrative based on those stats. And, you know, as as adults, we're always thinking you're not really reading unless you're reading a big biography or a big novel when actually when you many young people create their own narratives by reading nonfiction or stats or whatever so I would if someone and parents often will they know I work and worked in the library I can't get him to read anything but sports illustrated I said it's written on a higher reading level than most of the stuff you will bring home so I think you just have to um find out what the young person is interested in and to make the connection, whether it's graphic novel. Um, I haven't, I've met very few male writers who didn't say at some point that when they were kids, all they read was comic books. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I don't know how, everybody has a different evolution in terms of whether they then start reading novels or biographies or whatever, but 
I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Mm. I think that uh, especially, um, you know, graphic novels in this country lagged behind Europe and Asian countries in terms of the quality, in terms of the variety of subjects, in terms of the levels of difficulty. We're just now getting there. So um, I'm all for getting kids to read as many, uh, if they want to read graphic novels, um, and that that brings them to, because to to me, the the process of merging text and and, uh, image is very sophisticated. Mm. So I, I would think that's still a really good thing. You know, we used to, we adults used to read illustrated books. Um, but I still have editions of Pride and Prejudice upstairs that are illustrated. Yeah. Sherlock Holmes was illustrated when it was when it came out. So you know, we've kind of think we kind of moved away from that. But those were prominently illustrated books back in the day. So I think Great it's a point. awesome, Deborah. If you were going to recommend uh, something that someone should see, hear, read, or experience to enhance their understanding or appreciation of young adult literature, what would you recommend? Oh, that's a really good question. You mean other than young adult books themselves, if they were to read? I mean, if you want to recommend something in particular you think is great or something on the topic of young adult lit, just people will be listening to this, like two, three people will be listening to this, and they'll be... (laughs) Besides just the four of us, yes. and and if they're in, if they're like, oh wow, Deborah's awesome. I'm interested in young adult lit. Like, what would you recommend that they read? Mm, let me think about that. That's a really there. You know, I know that there's several. There's there are people who blog. You know, a, a number of young adult authors blog, and I would recommend. I don't know what Libba Bray's blog is called, but Libba Bray is a YA author who is very, very smart and very funny. And I think if people would look into her blog, they would find a really good take. She, she often comments on what's going on in the field. And so I think she is one person that I can think of. There is another a person, of course, I'm not thinking about the name of her blog. I can email it to you and you can put it on your your connection there. Um, it's an African-American professor who writes a lot about um, various issues around diversity. She's done a lot of research about the use of animals in books for kids. And so, so she is one person. If you want to read a variety of YA writers that would give you a sense of what's going on in YA literature right now, I would say Laurie Hulse Anderson, Jason Reynolds, Jacqueline Woodson, um, certainly Angie Thomas, who wrote The Hate You Give, and, and she's got books that are coming out. Po- uh, Poet X, because a lot of YA books are coming out um, in novels and verse. Um, Poet X, which won every award in the world when it came out, um, Elizabeth Acevedo, and she really gives the Afro-Latin experience a really interesting perspective. So there's a number of folks that are out there who would give you a taste of what is going on in YA literature right now. Um, There's a wonderful YA um, suspense writer named Lamar Giles. Um, African-American. He writes the best thrillers for teens. He, had, he wrote a book last year called Spin that merged hip-hop and literature. 
and a mystery all in one. So there's so many YA writers out there right wow, now. You've really given people a list of things. You know, uh, just... Everyone's going to be very busy now looking for all of those. <laughs> Deborah, thank you so much for joining us for this. This has been wonderful. I, I, I'm very excited. I'm a young adult lit reader, and I'm very oh, excited good. that you were okay. here to talk to us about well, thank you for inviting me. Um, I hope I gave a little bit of insight. And, um, you know, I just want to encourage people to, to read YA. <laughs> Do it, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And on that note, bye. Bye. bye.